has their Bible this morning? Anybody have your phones? Lucky for you, we have this big screen right here. We're going to be needing two more TV screens for the other buildings. So if anyone wants to donate like 85-inch TVs, that'd be a good one to think, a good thing to do. Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah chapter 43. We've been in this discussion. I won't say series because it probably will end pretty soon. But we've been talking about transition. And last week, that's what we started talking about, transition. And going from one place to a new place. And the scripture says in Isaiah, we started off here. It says, do not remember the former things. Don't remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Why? Because I will do a new thing, he says. Forget the former. Don't remember the old, because I'm doing a new thing, God says. And in your life, whatever you're going through, you will face a season of transition, whether it's a transition in your job or whether it's a transition from your house, whether it's a transition from your church. Whatever you go through in life, you will experience a transition at some point. And all these transitions can look different from time to time, but there is something that's similar among all of them. Don't look back. Don't look back. If you're too busy looking back at what was, you won't have anticipation for what is to come. You won't be expecting more things in the future because you're too focused on what was in the past, right? That's why in a car, the rearview mirror is smaller than the windshield. The rearview mirror is much smaller than your front windshield because if you look at your rearview mirror for too long, you're going to get in an accident. You're going to swerve and you're not going to know where to go because you're too busy looking back. Now, it's, it's good to glance at the past a couple of times. It's good when you're driving to look back, make sure no one's behind you when you have to switch lanes or whatever. It is good. But when you stare at it for too long, that's when things can happen. That's when bad things can happen. Amen? Amen. So the scripture says, do not remember the old things. For some people, fear is what's holding them back. Fear of what happened in the past is holding them back from stepping out into the future. For others, a good thing is keeping people from moving forward. They're stuck in a season where everything is just good, everything is sunshine and rainbows, and they don't want to go forward because they're afraid that they'll lose all the good stuff. Whatever it is, when there's a new season coming, when there's a new transition in your life coming, don't look back. Don't look back. And we talked about Elijah last week and how the Lord had told him to go to the brook Cherith. And he says, I have commanded, already commanded the ravens to be a blessing for you there. I commanded these ravens to drop down bread from heaven for you right there. This provision was already in motion before Elijah ever stepped foot 
to that place. God already had commanded the blessing. But if Elijah would have stayed put, if Elijah wouldn't have moved forward, he would have missed it. The blessing would have gone, but he would have, been, he would have missed it because he was, he was stuck where he was at. And that, that's what can happen in our lives a lot of times where we're asking the Lord to bless us. We're believing God to bless us, but God is asking us to go there. Wherever you're there is, God is asking us to go there, but we're too stuck here. We're too stuck in our own, our, 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 our own understanding. That doesn't make sense, Father. That doesn't make sense, Lord. Why would I go there? I have everything I need right here. And we get stuck in our own understanding. We don't trust the Lord, and therefore we don't receive what he's given us. We don't receive the blessing that's in store for us because we're too busy being stuck there. There's a portion in Scripture with Abraham. And the Scriptures tells Abraham to lift up your eyes and look from the place you are northward, eastward, southward, and westward. All the land that you can see, I have given you, God said. But he needed Abraham to look up from where he was to the place he was going to go. And too many people are stuck looking down at their feet where they currently are at. Oh, there's no way I can get to that place, Lord. Look at where I'm at right now. Look at what we struggle with right, with right now. Look at the, the situation that we're stuck with right now. There's no way. There's no way. But we're not called to look back. We're not called to look where we're at right now. We're not called to look at current circumstances and let that dictate the future. Amen? That's what this whole walk of faith is. It's one step after another step after another step, after another step. God's not asking you to take a leap, just to walk one foot after the next. I don't know if, if you've ever done this, but have you ever tried walking one step and then that same step? And then, no, you would look funny. It's one foot after the next. One step after the next. Not five steps at one time. One after another. In this whole walk of faith, it requires us to trust something that we do not see. To have vision for something that we do not see. That's why the scripture says, now faith is. It's the substance of things hoped for. Other translations say it's the confidence of things hoped for. It's, it's being confident knowing that something's up ahead. And the scripture also says that why hope for something that you can see? If you can see it, there's no reason to hope for it, right? If you can see it right there, why do you have to hope it's there? It's there. No hope required. And faith and hope, they, they go hand in hand. And scripture actually says now faith, hope, and love. These are the last three, that, last three things that remain. Faith, hope, and love. And without having this vision for the future, without having this, ex this expectation for the future, without having this hope for the future, you're going to be busy looking at right where you're at and looking behind, at what, what, what used to be, 
what was in the past, how the good old days are behind me now. You know, there's this quote from a TV show, and it's the, see, it's the, it's the show's finale episode. It's the saddest episode I've ever watched. Probably cry every time I watch it. But there's this one point where one of the characters, he's getting interviewed, and they're having this last goodbye party before everyone goes their own ways. And there's this one point where he looks at the camera. He says, you know, I wish someone were to tell you that you're in the good old days before they become the good old days. And when you're sitting there and you think, man, like those were the good old days. What are you telling yourself about your current days? That they're the bad days. If you're sitting there going, man, I missed the good days. That means you're living in the bad days, right? But instead, yeah, you can, you can reflect on the past. Oh, those are, some, those are some good times. But now my times are better. Now these times I'm living in are even better. And it's okay to look back and, and reflect and remember and be grateful for what God's done in the past. But staying back there and going, I wish we were still back in that place. I wish we were still living in that city. I wish we were still, we were still working at that job. I wish I was still going to that place. You will never go forward, ever. And I find this, the same thing, not just in your life, but in marriages, in relationships. Well, I wish we were just at that place, that honeymoon phase again. Remember that honeymoon phase, honey? Oh, those are the days. What, are, what days are you living in now? What are you saying about your relationship now? Or in a negative way, you have this memory of your, of your spouse doing something horrible and you just can't get over it. And every time a, a, a problem arises, you remind you and everybody else in that family about what they did. You never go forward. You never go forward. The scripture says, Forget the things in the past because I'm doing a new thing. You won't have enough room to receive this new thing if you're dwelling on what was. You got to make room. Amen. You got to make room in your heart. You know, God, it, it, God works with me with like illustrations. And although I hate sermon illustrations, I probably will never do any sermon illustrations. I love illustrations, but I just don't want to do them. But the way God works with me and how he shows me things in scripture is through illustrations, through visual effects. And the Lord showed me that there are so many blessings that he has for us in heaven. And they're sitting there, they're, they're, they're waiting for us. And, and there's this giant pipeline that runs from heaven, comes straight down to me in my heart. Because your heart is where you conceive. Your heart is where you let those blessings manifest. You have to believe it in your heart before you can see it in the physical. But the Lord said, uh, showed me this. He said, you see, you see all these blessings, Matthew? I have all of these things, but they're trying to fit in a one-inch diameter pipe that you have connected to me. You got to make more room. You have to open up that pipe, open up that vessel so I can shove more things down there. And a lot of us, we want God to do awesome things. And we've seen some awesome things, but we've only seen them very few times because our, that pipe, that passageway is so small. So small. You'll believe God for certain things, but for other things, oh no, that's off the table. There's no way. You've got to open your heart. 
And the scripture says in Isaiah, expand your territory. Expand it. The only way you can receive all that God has for you for your future and for that next step is by expanding your heart. Expanding the passageway from heaven to your heart. You've got to open it. How do you make room for it, though? You've got to remove the old things. You've got to get the old things out so the new things can come in. You know, I don't like to call myself a hoarder because I'm not. Am I? Okay, my wife says I am. I like to keep precious things, okay? To give to my kids. I played with this when I was your age, son. Anyways, I have a lot of shoes. And I know a lot of people don't like that and they think I'm weird, but I think you're weird. I have, I have a lot of shoes in my closet. And I don't even know how many I have, actually. But whenever I want to get more shoes... I don't have room for them. That's my, that's my problem right now. I don't have room for more shoes or more clothes because I'll wear something like this shirt, for example. It's probably like five years old. I don't know. But I'll wear something and I'll go, oh man, I used to wear that all the time. I, can, I can't get rid of that one. I wore that all the time back in three years ago. And I won't get rid of it because I have this, this unvaluable value I've placed on it. And with her, too, she has certain clothes that I don't want her to get rid of because she wore it five years ago. <laughs> but in order for me to be able to fit more clothes in my closet, what do I have to do? Get rid of them. Get rid of them. Make room for more, right? And a lot of us, our hearts are so full of old things. Our hearts are so full of old stuff, old garbage, old things that we call valuable, but really are garbage. And the only way we can make this room for more new things is by getting rid of the old. Getting rid of the old. Specifically, nah, I'm not going to get into that today. <laughs> but regardless of your past, whether it's a good past that's keeping you from your future, or it's a negative past that's keeping you from your future, regardless of your past, move on. Please, move on. I'm not saying it because I'm, I'm mad at you. I'm not saying it because I'm judging you. I'm saying it because you're hindering yourself. You're hindering the call on your life by staying stuck in yesterday's stuff. Move on. Whatever that means to you, do it. Amen? Look at Luke chapter number 9, verse 23. Luke 9, 23. Jesus Oh, I love Jesus. I love his ministry. Anybody watch The Chosen? Season 3 is coming out soon, right? I'm excited. Have you guys seen their new marketing campaign? It's called The Chosen Sucks. And they've... Uh, not for here, Matthew. Not for here. 
But I, I love the ministry that, of, of Jesus, and, and I love what the chosen has done with it. They help you visualize not what he did because it's not, it's not supposed to be historically accurate, but they help you understand what Jesus did and, and how he went about in his character towards people. But in Luke chapter 9, he says, Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me or to follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. Every single day, take up the cross. Now, a lot of people have debated what this means. Some, I don't understand why they got to that point, but it's pretty simple. Taking up your cross daily just means dying to your flesh daily. It doesn't mean dying for Jesus daily because you only do that one time, right? Taking up your cross daily is denying your flesh every single day. Why is this important in this season of transition? Because your flesh is going to tell you everything it can to get you to stay where you're at. Your flesh is going to tell you, oh, you don't want to do that. That's uncomfortable. You don't want to go there. You don't know anybody. That's going to be embarrassing. And your flesh is going to try to tell you something every single day to get you to not do what God's called you to do. That's why every single day you take up your cross daily and follow him. Verse 24, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Man, that's an oxymoron, right, Jesus? Nope. This is what the mysteries of God's all about. To the world, this makes no sense. What? I got to lose my life to save my life? That doesn't make any sense. If I keep my life, I'll lose my life? I don't understand. When we deny ourselves, when we put ourselves on that cross and said, it's no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me and the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the son of God who died for me. When we have that kind of mindset, we're losing our own life and we're taking up the life that Jesus gave us. And that life is so much better. Your life, and I, I, I like to say this because it gets people upset. I'm just kidding. It doesn't get anyone upset. But I like to say this, before you were in Christ, before you were created again in a new holiness, after God, in righteousness, before you said yes to Jesus, your current life before that moment was headed to hell. Your current life was headed for destruction. I don't care if you're a successful person in your business. I don't care if you're a good person in the grocery store. I don't care what you've done. Without Jesus, your life belonged to no one. Your life had no meaning. Your life had no purpose. That's why I don't say good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. Saved people go to heaven. That's it. There's a lot of not good saved people 
But there's a lot of good, unsaved people. Have you ever noticed that? There are some people in the world that I like better than some Christians. <laughs> They're nicer. They love you. They, they treat you nice. They do anything for you. They love you. And there's some Christians who are so stuck up and stubborn and, and prideful. You wonder if they're a Christian in the first place. But it's, it's not a matter of good or bad. It's just if you're saved or not. Are you a child of God or not? Because without being a child of God, your life belongs to the world and the world belongs to Satan. There's no purpose in your life without the Lord. And so when Jesus says this thing, when he says whoever desires to save his own life, the life that's already going to destruction, he will lose it because it's going to destruction. But if he dies to his own self, if he sacrifices his own life and says, this isn't the life I want anymore, Jesus. I don't want to follow my own laws and my own rules and my own morals. I want something better. I want something that's grounded on something better, on a cornerstone. That's Jesus. And when you put your life on that, he says, okay, well, here's the new life I give unto you. This life of abundant life, this life of Zoe life, of health and of, of having joy, having peace, having understanding, having all these good things I want to give you. That's the life I give you. And now looking back at your old life, you shouldn't want to go back because this new life is so much better. It's not free from trouble. It's not free from persecution, but it's free from worry. It's free from anxiety. It's free of, of those emotional hurts that you had once before because there was no hope in your life. There was no hope before Jesus. If someone died before you were a Christian, and if they weren't a Christian, there's no hope. But after you become saved, there is hope forever. And that hope is forever. I will be with my Savior who loves me. I will be with my Jesus who died for me. I will be with him, not just here in this, in this physical, spiritual thing. I'll be with him spiritually, walking with him, seeing him, relating to him again. There's a, there's a hope. And that's why he said, if you lose your life right now for me, you will find a better life. You will find a life so much greater. Then he says, For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory. And his fathers and the holy angels. But I tell you truly that there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the kingdom of God. Self-denial is probably the most important process of the Christian life. If you don't know how to deny yourself and deny your flesh in a world that is screaming self-love and self-appreciation, if you don't know how to deny yourself and put God first and others first, you're going to be miserable. It's going to be a miserable Christian life for you. Self-denial doesn't mean you hate yourself. doesn't mean you think you're a loser. 
doesn't mean any of those things. It only means that you put the needs of others before you. You put the needs of Jesus before you. Not only that, but it also means that you don't let yourself control you. You don't let your emotions control you. You control your emotions. You control what you say. You control what you do. You know who can't control their emotions? Children, dogs. If I'm being honest, friends, dogs cannot control how they feel. They react. They respond. It doesn't matter if you're the owner or a stranger. If you hurt them, they get upset. They're dogs. And for humans to act just like dogs is ridiculous. For humans to be controlled by how they just feel and what somebody made me feel and how they said it. It's not what they said. It's how they said it. You're a dog. I'm sorry. (laughs) Have mercy on me, Lord. (laughs) But that's a part of self-denial. And we can get into a whole series on that. I think I might actually. It's a good idea. Thank you, Lord. <clears throat> but this, the, again, going back to the cross that we carry, it's not us actually carrying a cross necklace or, a, or, or putting a cross T-shirt on. Or There's this guy who walks down the street. I don't know if he does it anymore. But he used to walk up and down Mooney with a cross. Anyone ever see that guy? He used to walk up and down Mooney with a cross. I don't know what he was doing. Maybe ministering, hopefully. But that's not what it's meaning. It just means you put God's will before yours. You put what God's plan for your life is before yours. Every day. Because every day you're going to have an opportunity to do what you want. And not what God wants. Every day. And in fact, if I can say this too, not only every day, but every hour of the day. Every single hour, a new opportunity will come for you to do what God wants you to do or what you want to do. Every day. Every hour. Every minute. And it's called, it's, it's that consistency that we need to subdue the flesh every day. That's why it says every day, not every month, not every week, not go confess your sins to a priest once a week. It's every single day because that builds consistency. And consistency is, is one of the keys to subduing your flesh, consistency. That's why when you go to the gym, you shouldn't really go once a week. You should do it cold turkey and just do it every day because you're building consistency. You're building that routine. I wake up in the morning, I go to the gym, I do this, that. All right, my day is ready. Next morning, do the same thing. Next morning, do the same thing. You know what often happens when you take a break? You don't go back. You've got to build the consistency. Jumping down a little bit to verse 57, it says, Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says, The foxes have holes and the, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then another Follow me. And he said, Lord, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go preach the kingdom of God. 
Also another said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. And Jesus said, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus didn't say fit for ministry. He said fit for the kingdom of God. That's a hard pill to swallow. Nobody who sets their hand to the plow, a plow was something that you would use to make those, those trenches or whatever in the fields to start cultivating and put seeds down. And when you put the hand of the plow and you keep going and you keep going and you keep going, you build these straight lines. But if you keep looking back as you're plowing, you're going to start going in, in different directions. It's not going to be a straight line anymore. And he says, he said, no one, not a few people, not, not, not very disciplined people. He said, no one is fit for the kingdom who sets their hand at the plow and looks back. In other words, when people who once were lost and now are saved, and then at some point in their life as a saved person, they start looking back at the past going, man, life was so much better. Life was so much better. Why would you ever want to go back to that? Why would you ever want to go back to destruction? Why would you ever want to go back to being a devil's child? Why would you want to leave? Why would you leave the kingdom of God, leave the, the hand of the Lord? You see, nobody should ever look back at their life before Christ and think it was better. There's something wrong with that. There's something wrong with thinking something else was better before Jesus. That must mean you're not doing it right. You, you, there's something you're missing, something that you're missing. But I love that. He was emphasizing all three of these people. He was emphasizing one thing. One thing only. Putting him, Jesus, over everything else. Everything else. The first person he says to let the, to, what was the first one? The foxes in the, in the holes have holes. The birds of the air have nests. Meaning it's a sacrifice. People are going to persecute you. People aren't going to like you. They're not going to invite you in to stay with them. People are not going to like you. Are you willing to handle that? If not, you're not fit for the kingdom. Then he says the other one, let the dead bury their own dead. This guy was saying, I'll follow you, but first let me go bury my father. You know what he wasn't saying? He wasn't saying, my dad just died. Let me go bury him real quick, and I'm going to come back. He was saying, when my father gets to the age of death, then I'll come. I have to take care of him first. Now, there's nothing wrong with taking care of your parents. Not at all. But it is wrong if you put that in front of what God's called you to do. We're supposed to take care of our parents. When they've taken care of us, when they get to an age where they need to be taken care of, if they get to that age, then we do that as well. Then we take care of them. Nothing wrong with it. But only if it gets in the way of God's plan for your life. And the other one, he says, let me first go give these people a farewell, then I'll come follow you. And Jesus says, no, no, they're fine on their own. No one is fit for this kingdom if they look back at what was in the past. Don't look back. Don't look back. 
when you put things in front of what God's called you to do, you're looking back. You're saying, oh, but I'll, I'll go, but I have this over here. I have this responsibility first. This can be related to people, and hear me out. I'm not saying this is wrong in, in general, but the way someone goes about doing this is wrong. Waiting until you reach retirement to do what God's called you to do, wrong. Waiting for retirement because it's a good option and God's called you to work that place, it's fine. Do that. Do what God's called you to do. But if there's a lot of people who say, well, I, I, I won't do this yet until I have enough for this. Then I'll go do that. In my head, I'm just hearing, red alert, red alert. Trusting in your own self. Trusting in your own plan. Am I speaking to anybody this morning? Or In essence, dividing, divided attention will always result in a failure. If God calls you to do something and your attention is elsewhere, if your attention is in what was, you're not going to do what he's told you to do successfully because there's something that's taking your attention. The Apostle Paul, I love his writing in Philippians, he says this, no, not that I've already attained or I am perfect, but I press on that I may lay a hold of that which for Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, one thing that I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to the things which are ahead. I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. If there is one thing you get good at, guys, get good at this one thing. Forget what was the past. Move on. Go to what God's called ahead. Go to what he's laid out right in front of you. But you've got to forget the past. You've got to let go of the sentiment. You've got to let go of things that you cherish. Just like I've got to let go of some clothes. And some shoes. Let me be clear because unfortunately there's some people, not in this room, praise God, maybe watching online, that'll hear this and go, oh, I'll just forget everything. It's not what this is talking about. There's a lot of scriptures that, that show the importance of remembering what God's done for you. Using memory as a positive tool using that remembrance as, as something positive, right? That's not what he's talking about, forgetting everything ever in life. But forgetting those things that are hindering you from going forward. Whatever it is, forgetting what's hindering you from going forward. For Paul, it was self-righteousness. It was, it was being somebody who did good deeds, glorifying his own accomplishments. That was Paul's forgetting. And in his words, he said, all my accomplishments are like dung. They're garbage. But what I do for Christ is righteous. What I do for Christ is where the glory is at. Not what I've done. Not all of my glory, all of my accomplishments. It's of filthy rags. And for Paul, it was forgetting that. 
forgetting what he learned, what he taught religiously, forgetting all those things. And for a lot of believers, it's the same thing. A lot of us are stuck in this mindset of do, 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 do. And in fact, it is do, do. (laughs) But we get in the mindset of I have to do these things for God. I have to work for God to love me. I have to do a good deed for God to have favor for me. I have to do this and then God will bless me. Forget it. Forget that. Forget the old religious law you were taught. Move on to the newness, the new grace that's ahead of you, the new favor that's waiting for you. But you've got to go forward. You've got to go forward. Can I have the guitar up here real quick? As I wrap up, Thank you, Jesus. I mentioned Abraham a little bit earlier today. And there's one part of scripture in Hebrews that talks a little bit more about Abraham and and his wife, Sarah, and their children. And it's so important for us to press on, like Paul said, press on for the prize ahead. Because when we keep remembering the past, when we keep reflecting on the past and letting the past hold us back, we're dangerously venturing into double-mindedness. And in James, the scripture says, to let him ask in faith, no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let that man not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Let me give you an example. An example of being double-minded is going, man, I sure wish God would heal me. I believe God can heal me. But let me make my arrangements for my funeral. It's double-minded. I'm believing God for this big move. I'm believing him to take me to this new place, this new season. But just in case, let me make a plan B. Double-minded. It's so funny because we go to carnivals and fairs and and these, these shows where you see all these people doing all these stunts, right? And then there's this one stunt that everyone just is always so amazed at. And it's this man who's on like a hundred foot pole and he's walking across this little tiny rope right and he's walking and he some might have a balance beam others just do it with their hands and he's walking and he's walking on this tight rope and oh he wiggles and all the crowd goes oh and he's wiggling and he's walking and then he falls and the whole crowd gasps oh but then where does he usually land on the net that's underneath him why are we all surprised? Not like he's actually going to get hurt. That's what double-mindedness is like. There is no risk. There's no thrill, true thrill of a man walking a tightrope with a net underneath him. But now there's another man who tightroped across the twin towers. No safety net. That's a thrill. That's a risk. Right? But when we operate in our life and we have all these plans, but there's safety nets, 
There's backup plans. There's plan Bs. All that is saying to our own self and to the Lord, we don't trust the first plan to work out. We don't trust that this is going to work out. Because if we did, there'd be no, no reason for a safety net. Right? There'd be no reason for a backup plan. Right? If you truly trusted the first plan to work, why would you need the second? And that's double-mindedness. And in Hebrews, it says, with Abraham, it says, And truly, if they had been mindful of the country which they came out of, they would have had the opportunity to return. Abraham and Sarah and his family, they, they left their land. God told them to leave, and they left, and they went to this land that God would tell them and show them in the future. And the scripture says they never actually received the promise. They never saw it. But there are people from their offspring that did, that did see it. But the scripture says that if they would have called to mind where they came from, they could have had the opportunity to go back. This tells me that there is no temptation that can overtake you unless you think about it. Whatever you think about, it's easier for you to do. You know, I'll never have an affair with my wife because I don't think about having an affair with my wife. But the moment I start thinking about having an affair with my wife, you better believe temptation, opportunity, opportunity is going to be knocking. Why? Because I entertained the thought. But if I never have a thought about having an affair on her, if I never have the thought of that, I'm not even looking at the, I, I don't see the opportunities because I'm not looking. I said this to one of our congregation members this past week. I said, what happens when you go buy a new car? You have a picture of this car. It's on your phone. Maybe you print it out, put it on your desk. And you, you, you see this car and you think, oh, this is the one. This is the color. This is the make, the model. I love this car. Then you go to the dealership. You write up the paperwork. You pay the money. And you drive off the lot with that brand new car that you love that nobody else has. What is the first car that you'll see driving off the lot? The same car. Same make, same model, same color. And you thought it was the only one. What had happened? You entertained the thought of that car. And now everywhere you go, you see that car. Because it's in your mind. Whatever you think about the most, that's your reality. And if Abraham and Sarah would have thought about the country they came out of, if they would have been and, and sitting there thinking, man, I'm tired from journeying all this time, Abraham. Let's just go back over here. Let's just go back to our home. This is tiring. They would have had the opportunity to go back. And they wouldn't have fulfilled what God called them to go do. Now, there's another story similar. It doesn't end up so well. And it's in Genesis chapter 19. It's a story about Abraham's nephew, Lot, and his family. And, it's, and they lived in this horrible town, this horrible place. I don't know why any godly man would have lived in that place. But he moved his family there because it was good for business. 
It was luscious, it was beautiful, it was, it was perfect for business. And so he moved his family out there and trusted his own self. They were living in, in this horrible land. And it says, when the morning dawned, these angels urged Lot to hurry. These angels have come down and, and God was showing Lot mercy. And he was going to save Lot and his family from this town that he was inevitably going to destroy. And these angels hurried down and said, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here. There's other daughters who weren't there. Lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters. The Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. So it came to pass when they had brought them outside that he said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind. Don't look back. Don't look behind you or stay in the, anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains lest you be destroyed. Then Lot said, Please, Lord, indeed now your servant has found favor in your sight and you've increased your mercy which you've shown to me in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains lest some evil take over me and I die. See now this city is near enough to flee to and is a little one. Please let me escape there. And my, and, I, and my soul shall live. And he said, See, I have favored you concerning this thing also, and that which I will not overthrow this city. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. And it says, And the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. So he overthrew these cities, all the plain, all the inhabitants of the cities, and what grew on the ground. But his wife looked back. And she became a pillar of salt. All of Lot's life was dominated by the flesh. They moved to this city because of the flesh. It looked good to the flesh. What it could do for him on the outward. And it was so corrupt. This whole city was so corrupt in the flesh. That the men of the city tried coming to Lot's house. Because they saw these two angels. And they wanted to have relations with them. And so Lot says, here I have two virgin daughters. Be with them instead. And those are the two daughters that left. But he also had sons-in-law. Multiple. Other daughters that didn't go with him. Sons-in-laws that he didn't have with him. Maybe even grandchildren that weren't with them when they left. And I can only imagine that's the reason why his wife turns around and looks back at the city. Not only because of the destruction that's happening, but because my family's there. My family's there. And she looks back. She disobeys and looks back. And she's turned into a pillar of salt. See, Abraham could have looked back. They could have looked back from where they came from and, and returned. But it's always better just following the plan God has following what he set before you even if it doesn't make sense even if it doesn't if you don't think it'll work out if God's called you to go do it do it just don't look back amen